so much. Wow, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. Um, my wife sends her love. She's not here this time. She's home with the two younger kids. Um, we are in the place of transition. We are really believing that we will be in the Philippines by July. Hallelujah. And we know the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. And we know that we are in a war in this day and hour. We're in a battle. Amen? And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in the heavenly realms. Our enemy is not our neighbor. It's not a political party. Amen? Amen. The, un the seen enemy is easy to see, but it's the unseen enemy that we can't see that we're fighting. And you guys are here. I'm just here to cheer you guys. You guys are actually doing the stuff. You guys are on the front lines. You're doing what God has called us to do. You know, I've been every year I seek the Lord for a specific word. And, and this year, he said, it's time to go on the offensive. It's time to go on the offense. The kingdom of God have, has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. It's time to take the kingdom by force. Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sin and to rescue you from hell, but he came to establish his father's kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. Isaiah the prophet, he talked about it. He said, for the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The government of God and the peace of God is increasing. There will be no end to it. That's a superior government. It's the kingdom of God. It's the king living in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory for the nations, for your neighborhood. Woo! When we have a revelation of him who dwells inside of us, everything changes. Everything changes. We step into eternity. We are in eternity now. If you've invited Jesus in your heart, you've been born again. You get to live forever with the king. To know him, to know the father is eternal life. Eternal life is found in knowing Jesus. Come on. And we, in order to go on the offensive, we know the, the weapons in Ephesians. We know the defensive, the helmet, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. They're all defensive weapons. But what's the offensive weapon? The sword of the spirit. The word of God. We need to be a people of the word of God. We have to spend time in the word of God daily. I need this more than I need natural food. I have to partake of this every single day. It can't be just Sunday or just Wednesday or every single day. We need to partake of the word of God. This is what sustains me. This is what brings life. And every time I read, I sharpen my sword. I sharpen my sword so I can cut the head of the enemy off. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. So it's the word of God. It's time to go on the offense. The word of God, it's prayer. We need to be praying with all prayer and supplic supplication, making our requests known to God. We have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of praise. When Israel went into battle, Judah always went first. Praise goes before us into the battle. Hallelujah. And we have to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It's time to go on the offense, friends. Well, I'm going to turn it over to your beloved Pastor Joe. I just want to encourage you guys. I'm super excited. He's preaching on one of my favorite books, Amen. the we book of you. Revelation. Thank Hallelujah. You, my brother. That's awesome. And those who don't know, he and his family served as missionaries in Mozambique, Africa, and in South Africa. And right now, let's pray for Mozambique because they're being invaded by the Muslim terrorists. 
The precious brothers and sisters where they planted churches are being persecuted. So let's think about them and pray for them. Lord, we lift up to you our brothers and sisters in Mozambique who are suffering for you right now. We pray that these Islamic uh, terrorists, Al-Shabaab, will get saved and they will stop terrorizing the Christians. Lord, and that they themselves will come to Christ and that you will protect this nation from the wickedness of Islam, Lord. And may Christianity can continue to flourish in peace and blessing to the people of that, uh, that precious land that you've given them, Lord. We thank you for all these wonderful Christians as they're keeping their faith and the pastors who keep preaching, Lord. Bless them and use them in mighty ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, so please open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2, going through the seven churches. How many have been having a good time? Amen. You're not scared. We haven't gone into the symbolic, symbolic things yet. We will get into that. Right now, we're just right at the beginning, and Jesus is telling us what he thinks about the churches. Somebody say, hold on. Hold on. And he gives us some good advice here. We need to learn how to hold on through life's struggles, and I hope that this will encourage you as we get more into it. Here's the chart for all the goodies that we've uh, been talking about thus far. You can always go to our notes online or at the app, and then we'll be going into these remaining four, Thyatira today, then we'll be going to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then after that, hold on, because Revelation get bumpy. It gets definitely bumpy. You'll be going through all the plagues. You'll be going through the bowls of wrath. You'll be hearing about the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the different beasts that come out of the sea. So keep coming as it gets very, very informative and interesting. But right now, just to remind those who have been coming faithfully or if you're new, joining with us, everyone just review is for you. We're learning about the seven major churches of Asia Minor. Most of them were Paul's church plants, and the ones that we don't know about, we assume they're either a church plant of Paul that we didn't hear about, or they're simply a church plant from a church plant. But they're all in that same area known today as modern Turkey, and now we're going to get into a church named Thyatira. I have it highlighted. You can go back and Google it and look at it. There's not much that we know about it. It was a typical pagan city of that time, had the pagan gods, had the emperor worship, and the Christians there were suffering for Jesus but Jesus wants to make sure he gives them encouragement as well as instruction. We believe that the angel is the senior leader or head elder pastor there. So let's go. Verse 18 of chapter 2, Revelation. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are blazing like fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, everybody go, nevertheless. Amen. A lot of good things, but here's a couple bad things. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Everybody go, ooh. It's serious, but it even gets worse. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on. Everybody say, hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one, somebody say, I'm that one. Amen. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one, somebody say, I'm that one. Amen. That one, the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can I hear an amen? How many are not ashamed of the Word of God today? We stand by the Word of God. Amen. We're not afraid of it. We stand by it. So let's go over it in review. Let me do some good teaching here so everybody can catch up to what Jesus is saying. We went through the whole passage, but hopefully you heard these things. The first thing Jesus does is he starts off with his declaration. That's what he's been doing with these churches. He starts off by saying that his eyes are like fire, 
and that his feet are burnished like brass. Now, sometimes people have tried to say, well, this means Jesus must be a black man because they look like they're the color of burnished brass. And there's a group of people teaching that, and they have now become the new form of racist, and they call people like me white devils, uh, descendants of Esau from the Bible character, which, by the way, Esau is a brother to, uh, uh, Esau is a brother to who? Help me. Jacob, they come from the same mother. So anyways, they have a weird way of explaining that. But notice that when we get to the other parts where he looks like a rainbow or a jasper or a ruby, they don't take that very serious. Or David being white and ruddy, you know, they don't want to take that serious. And so what we see is people looking for color in the Bible are going to mess up every single time. There are multiple colors in the Bible, as we would know, as colors of skin. But there's only one race, the human race. And so I don't really know what... What Jesus looks like, but I can pretty much tell you he probably doesn't look like a white, emaciated, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy that the church, uh, the Catholic Church has made popular, okay? So as long as you're not expecting to see a version of Brad Pitt in heaven, you're going to be all right, okay? He's probably going to be, uh, you know, uh, darker than me, than, but lighter than most African-Americans, somewhere in between there. Uh, oftentimes, uh, my, my African-Americans, people say, well, he made it out of dirt, and if you look at a lot of dirt, it's dark, and I'm like, what dirt are you looking at? Because the dirt in Florida where my parents live, it's kind of tan, kind of looks like me. The dirt in Georgia or in India and different parts of the world is red. Hello? So what dirt did he use? I don't even care. All I know is that he bled red for me. So don't get lost in trying to find connections of skin color to racial identity in the Bible. It doesn't even exist. There is no skin color attached to racial identity in the Bible. The Jews were a mixed multitude of various cultures that worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that for a fact that when they left Egypt, they left with a mixed multitude, and other nations were free to join with them. Rahab was a pagan. Rahab joined with them. Others, Caleb joined with them, and so forth and so on. We know Romans were also uh, God-fearers. They were those that kind of respected the Jewish faith but hadn't yet converted like Cornelius. He was known as a God-fearer. But the most important thing that we get here, what are we supposed to get from the eyes of fire and his, and his flesh is glowing? What are we supposed to get? That he's emanating power. We're not supposed to say, oh, he looks like, uh, like Eddie Berto. That's what Jesus is going to look at. Uh, stand up, you burnished bronze man. <laughs> Yes. No, we're not supposed to walk away from that going, oh, that's what he looks like because you put all of our flesh in the fire, it's going to start burnishing bronze color on you too. You're going to start to have your flesh change color, okay? And his eyes like fire, it's not like you're going to be looking at Jesus and he has little fire flames in his eyes. He's emanating power. And another part talks about as white as snow. Jesus is not lily white like a Norwegian, Okay. The idea is here when we're hearing about colors and jasper and other parts of Revelation as we'll get to in a rainbow emanating from him and, and eyes like fire, what we're supposed to get is that he emanates power. He emanates glory. All of our senses are enacted when we look at Jesus. All the sight and the sounds that we could possibly imagine are being used. And when we think about power, it's coming from him. So that's my Jesus. Somebody say, my Jesus. Amen. The praise that they get is astounding. I love hearing this as a pastor. Notice this. This is real praise. He, he applauds them for saying, you guys have good deeds. Come on, somebody say amen to that. They have love. Somebody say amen. They have faith. Amen. Keep saying amen. Service. And they have perseverance. And guess what? They're doing more now than when they first started. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. That's an awesome church. And they are loving people. They are doing good deeds. They have faith. And if you looked at whenever that church started to the time this is being written, probably 20 or 30 years if we're guessing, they are doing more for Jesus, not less. They are not backing down. What does this encourage us as Christians? To never grow weary of well-doing, to never burn out but always burn up. How many want to stay on fire for Jesus? When I was young in the Lord, sometimes the old timers, they would come to me and they would say, I used to be like you, sonny, jumping at these altars and shouting hallelujah. But one day I got old and you're going to get old. No, what I want them to do is tune in right now. I'm still jumping for Jesus. I'm shouting hallelujah. I don't want to stop. I want to go to heaven giving God my best. And when I can't shout hallelujah anymore, somebody just come next to me and shout it for me. 
What did you say? I'm shouting hallelujah for you, pastor. All right, keep shouting. And if I lose my mind and I'm talking to the wall, just make sure I'm preaching at that wall. Maybe just move me around. Pastor, we got to turn you towards the folks. Okay, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm so happy to know that when I lose my mind, Jesus doesn't lose me. My grandmother died of Alzheimer's. I watched her lose her mind, one of the saddest things to happen, but I knew Jesus had her heart in his hands. She is shouting and jumping now for Jesus. What a great testimony. What a great thing to say about a church. That, that would be my hope for this church, that no matter how long this church remains, that we're doing more than we've ever done before, that we're always full of faith and love. We're not giving up on the things of God. We're persevering. They were suffering just like all the other Christians at that time. But hold up, there comes a rebuke, doesn't there? They get rebuked because of the prophetess, the false prophetess, rather, Jezebel. And let's just go now to the scriptures to examine this again, where it starts with the nevertheless. What we are supposed to capture from this moment is an Old Testament understanding of who Jezebel was. So if you ever hear like a naive, silly person go, well, the Christians of the New Testament didn't have the Bible because it wasn't written yet. That is so silly. Of course they had a Bible. It's called the Old Testament. And they understood it through the light of the revelation they were giving. So, uh, given. so as they were writing, the apostles compiling the New Testament, it wasn't something they couldn't find in the Old Testament. It was actually something confirming the Old Testament. The Old Testament wasn't something that was uh, done away with because it was so bad. It was done away with because it could only bring us so far. But it is a foundation to the New Testament. So it does not pass away. It's always there as our foundation. So when the preacher is preaching here as, as uh, John the Apostle is hearing what Jesus is saying and he's telling it to his church. Everybody in that church is supposed to go, oh yeah, I know the story of Jezebel. And let's just see by a sign of hands, nobody be embarrassed, but just be honest, how many of you know the story of Jezebel? Raise your hand. Okay, about half of you. So here's a review for the rest of you, the other half. Jezebel was the wife of an Israelite king, Ahab. Ahab was a dude that was already compromising, doing things he wasn't supposed to. But what brought him over the edge is he married Jezebel, who was a prophetess or priestess of a false cult religion of Baal from another nation. And the kings of Israel were not supposed to marry women from other nations, let alone any Israelite. It was forbidden. And so Ahab compromised. He brings a woman into his life. And then the Bible says he began to worship her gods, serve those gods. And these gods, the Bible says, are not real, but they're demonic spirits posing as God, posing as, uh, you know, good intending spirits, but they're really posers. They are really false spirits. And sadly, over time, she began to persecute specifically Elijah and Elisha. And she was a great detriment to the things of God to the point that when she wanted some land that she couldn't have, she killed an innocent man to get the land. Well, God set her up. God made her think that there would be a parade for her, a celebration. So she got all dressed up, but that day judgment came to her, and the people of God cast her out of her window, splat, she died, and then the dogs ate her body. That's a nice Sunday school story. Well... I should say it's one that we should all learn. Isn't that something that we look at the Bible and we're often put off by these things? And maybe you think, well, that sounds like what we were just talking about with the Muslims. Here's the difference. This woman was justly a deserving murderer. With the, she deserved the just punishment of a murder, rather, rather. She had killed and deserved to die. The Christians in uh, Mozambique do not deserve to die and be tossed off of windows. Does everybody see the difference? We still believe in justice. And so this woman had been cast out of a window. And now she's being compared to, or rather they are the false prophets following uh, this woman just being the false prophetess and those who are following are being compared to this person. And notice the words that Jesus says. He says, I will cast her down. I want to get to that part right here. Where is it? I will cast her down. Strike her children dead, commit adultery. 22, thank you. Lost track of it right there. Everybody say, cast her down or cast her on a bed. This is to be reminiscent of when she was cast out of a window. She was cast out of a window. So now everybody get this. You know the story now of Jezebel. Do you think you want to be called Jezebel by Jesus? No. But everybody get this now. Everybody get it. 
They are tolerating her in the church. We're going to get back to that in just a moment, but let's just go through the review. So they're tolerating her, and then now he gives the warning that he's going to put Jezebel on a bed of suffering along with those who follow her, and then he's going to strike down those who are considered her children. This is not minors, children in the spiritual sense, like a spiritual mother. She is leading these followers. They're going to be cast down. And then what's the instruction? Stop following Jezebel. Everybody say, stop it. Sounds pretty simple to me. And then hold on. Somebody say, hold on. Amen. And then here at the end, what does Jesus tell us? He says, those who are victorious are going to rule over the nations like how he does. So we're going to rule with Jesus. The next thing that he says, he's going to give us the morning star, which I want to get into that at the end. And then he ends with whoever has ears, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. How many are ready for this today? Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I wanted to make sure we all got that. We hear all the good that this church had, yet there was something wrong about them as a whole. They were tolerating this wicked woman, this false teacher. What did it probably look like in their context? It probably looked like a woman who said, I'm hearing from God, and guess what I'm hearing? You can be sexually immoral and still go to heaven. She said, I'm hearing from God, and guess what? You can find other paths to heaven, and you'll be all right. Who would be like a modern Jezebel today? Like an Oprah, an Ellen, someone that looks pious on the outside, someone that you would say, boy, I bet I could trust you. You sound like a nice person. But on the inside, leading people to hell, not through force, not through uh, what we would call like, you know, advertent, outwardly known manipulation, cultish behavior, but really just saying it's okay. And let's think about how it looks like in our culture. When Oprah says, I live with a man named Stedman, but that's not my husband, does everybody go, ooh, you're, you're Satan. You're going to hell. No, everybody goes, well, you guys respect each other. I bet you're nice to each other. That sounds like a good marriage. That's not a marriage, right? What do we call that? Oh, you're just friends, but more than friends. you know. And then the same thing is with, yeah, shacking up. And the same thing was, is with Ellen. Well, look, we actually did get married. Our marriage is beautiful. I'm married to Portia. Married to another woman. Now, how many know when you look at that, you're looking at sin, but you're not looking at what would be outwardly disgusting to the world. To us, we know better, but to the world, what does it look like? Looks like a happy home. Looks like a happy family. Now, watch this. He's going to deal with Jezebel, and he's going to deal with Jezebel's followers, but who is he upset with first? The people tolerating it. The ones tolerating it. So he's not just saying, I got a problem with Jezebel, and I've got a problem who want to live like Jezebel. He's saying to the Christians that are there that are doing all of those good things, he's saying, I have a problem with you all because you are not dealing with it. See, we have to deal with problems in the church. This is where we just go back to the same things we've already learned in the previous churches. If we call toleration of sin grace, we're actually misunderstanding what grace is. Grace is not tolerating of sin. If I was to have, God forbid, an adulterous affair against my wife, her tolerating that is not grace. I'm just going to let him keep doing it and hope he changes. No, the best thing she can change is the locks. Don't wait for me to change. Change the locks. Lock me out. That's grace. See, grace is helping people to change, not empowering them to remain in their sin. Grace is not an excuse to remain in sin. It's the empowerment to change. And so we have to get to the point in our lives where we say, I will stand against what is sinful. And if there are Jezebels in my life, or Jesse's, if we want to give it a guy's name, make it ring with Jezebel, or just say Ahab, if we, and we really learned about a man that was called Balaam. So let's just say Balaam or Jezebel, the ones that we're not supposed to be tolerating from the Old Testament examples. We have to stand up to them and say, for the name of Christ and his church, I have to disassociate and disfellowship with you. I am not doing you a favor nor myself a favor by hanging around. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in your scriptures and notice that the toleration needs to be now turned to intoleration. It's not necessarily in the world. Thank you, my brother. It's not necessarily in the world that we have to become intolerant, as I mentioned before, starting in verse 9. It's actually in the church. Because remember, Daniel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't go around Babylon and go, I don't tolerate any of you guys. Get out of here because they were the minority. They didn't have control over Babylon. 
We don't go around in our culture try to make the government Christian. That's not our, our job. We do want Christians in the government. We want Christian rules and laws, but we're not going to force it. We want people to do it by choice. Does everybody understand the difference? We don't believe in a theocratic rule. We believe when God comes, he will be the, the theocratic ruler. But right now, we're waiting for that, so we're wanting to win the, the war of ideas. We want to win the war of worldviews. We want to show our coworkers and our friends that this is a better way. And of course, along the way, we want laws to change. We want government to follow the things of God. But we're not there forcing it. So look at how Paul puts it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. How many can say amen to that? If I said to you, don't hang out with anybody that's immoral, greedy, or uh, an idolater, you couldn't even catch an Uber home today. You probably couldn't even go to your job. So what is he saying? He is saying in the world... We are in it, but not of it. But in the church, this is a taste of heaven. Everybody go, a taste of heaven. Mm, 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 mm. This is a taste of heaven, and it tastes good. We should be able to see what it looks like in heaven here on earth as it is in heaven. We should see peace among multiple cultures here. We should see various ages all respecting each other. We should see here the genders getting along and serving each other, helping and working towards the common goal of the church. That's why he says, I'm not talking about you leaving the world and being intolerant of everything you find out there. You're, you're not supposed to do that. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But verse 11 says, but now, somebody say, but now. Thank you. I am writing to you that you must not associate or tolerate anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Now, sometimes you get the uh, supposed tolerant crew saying that we're so intolerant as Christians. So just kind of flip it back on them a little bit. Say, oh, so you're so tolerant, right? And a lot of times they may be like vegetarians or vegans or whatever. Say, can I come, if you're so tolerant, can I come to your picnic and barbecue up some ribs there on the grill if you're so tolerant? Can I come to your club and preach about heaven and hell since everybody has a voice that needs to be heard? Can we have our voice be heard in your atheist club about Jesus and heaven and hell? How many know in our culture those who claim to be tolerant are really the most intolerant and they're hypocritical? But are we rightfully called intolerant people? Yes, according to the scriptures. I do not have a toleration for sin or things of the devil. Now, if you're in my culture or in our city or in wherever I live, I will tolerate you for that much for what we share in common. I want the best for you to be a good neighbor and that, this and that. But it's still a part of my city, and I still have a choice to what I do in this church. So I don't have to, I may have to tolerate you at the grocery store or tolerate you on the job, but I don't have to tolerate your sin in this church or in my house. Because as for this house, we serve the Lord. That's what we do right here. And then people go, well, you religious people, especially the Christians, you're the worst. Okay, well then go, go be a same-sex couple in the mosque today and see how, how well that goes for you. Go bring your bacon, go bring your bacon wrap into the mosque today. Let's just be honest, all religions are making judgments as well. Even those who say they're non-religious, that's a judgment, that's a belief. So here's what we do believe as Christians, as we are doing unto others, as we want done to us. Everyone in the free market of ideas should come with their best and learn to get along. That's what we believe. But in our practices of religion and in our families, it is up for us to decide what is right and best for us. And I do want to clarify, because now there have been some videos coming out of Christian parents abusing or being physically abusive, verbally abusive toward children who want to go to hell and live a certain way, and then they put it up and everybody feels sorry for them. I don't believe that's the right way either. I don't believe trying to beat the gay out of my kid is going to work, you know. I don't believe in that. But if you are gay, I will, I'm going to let you know. I will provide food. I will love you. But I'm going to let you know that you're going to hell. Okay, so if people ask me, well, if your child comes out gay, I'm going to love them and tell them about Jesus. That's it. And so I'm not going to try to beat the devil out of them or pray the gay away, but I will teach them the things of God. 
and they will have to make their own choice, okay? So we're not talking about even in our home becoming forceful in our worldview. We're just saying as Christians, this is what we believe. Don't we have the right to believe what we want to believe? We believe this. And by the way, last time I checked, this Bible didn't change over the last 100 years. You changed. I'm remaining the same on this thing. I put my life on the Word of God. On the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. I'm going with this. You can follow the trends if you want. I'm following the Word of God, and I'm not ashamed of this. So in our church, in our homes, there is a standard that we must live by. There is a standard. And then Paul reiterates it. He says, what business, verse 12, is it mine to judge those outside the church? He says, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel, let's read this together, one, two, three. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now, can Jesus get upset about something they don't know about? Think about it. Can Jesus get upset about something they don't know about? No, that wouldn't be right. Why would our Jesus do that? I'm so upset you, you didn't know how to solve the, uh, you know, E equals MC squared equation. I'm so upset with you guys. They, they would say back to him, Jesus, I don't even know what E stands for, equals MC squared. What are you talking about? But can Jesus be mad about something they should know to do but aren't doing it? See, that's why he's upset. Jesus is upset because he's saying, you know better than this. You should not be tolerating someone who is leading the people astray to do these things, to follow sin by being sexually immoral and by eating food sacrificed to idols. Thank you, my brothers. And so I want everybody to see this. Once again, I gave some examples about, uh, you know, Ellen and Oprah. But let's talk about this food being sacrificed to idols. Because as I've mentioned before in the previous uh, sermons that touched on this, is that we oftentimes think this is crazy. Like, of course, I wouldn't be a Christian and be tempted to go worship some idol and go give food to it. But that is not true. It's happening all over our culture right now. You can go to a Mardi Gras. You can see pagan celebrations. You can see different people that are in this culture that are adopting Hinduism, and they have food sacrificed to their gods. They, and, and Buddhism, they put food before their idols, and people are doing it right now. As a matter of fact, when I was in New Orleans, I, visit, I visited the ashram, which is what they call the temple of the Hare Krishnas. And when I went there, there was only a few natives to that land that were there from Southeast Asia. Almost every person I saw worshiping and dancing around these gods were where people brought up in America through the Christian worldview and now worship Krishna. It's the truth. Because today in our world, we're not following what Jesus said to do. We're not holding on because we're thinking that it's easier on our flesh to do it the way of another God. And that's what, think about this, that's what Jezebel offers us. She's offering us a bunch of sex and a lot of parties. And with a lot of sex and parties... You don't got to think about heaven or hell, really. You know, you don't got to think about the gospel. You don't have to think about taking up your cross. Just have sex and party. In our culture, think about it as well. When it comes to Easter, most of our culture would say, go to Easter service somewhere with your family. Church is good for us on Easter. But not in that culture. On that culture, it was good to go to your false god and celebrate with your grandma and your mom and light the candles and do the incense. You see, we're getting now to a post-Christian culture, which is very similar to what they used to live in as a pre-Christian culture. We're now, let's be honest, we're now being looked at as the odd ones out. You guys still go to church and believe in a death, burial, and resurrection and take communion? What is that? Boy, you just, you just need to put some food before a Buddha and just move on and get enlightened. Stop thinking about death and the body and blood. And you guys over here, you still teach that there's a hell that non-Christians go to? Man, that's so old. Think about all the other religions and how right they are. And you guys are still stuck on one man and one woman in marriage. That is so old. You need to be down with the thruples. Haven't you heard about the three men that are now three fathers to a baby they adopted? That's what you need to be celebrating. And now what was wrong is called right. And what was right is now called wrong. And I just want to ask you today, are you willing to stand up against the Jezebel? Because your toleration, you thinking you tolerating as being right is actually wrong. Because they were doing everything right except kicking her out. So I sometimes meet people, even in a church like this, that could have it said all about them here. They may say, man, you know what, Joe, I'm a good Christian. And, and that may be very true because they got good deeds. 
They have a lot of love. They keep the faith. They're serving the Lord. They're persevering. And they may even say, Joe, look, check my records. I'm doing now more than I ever done. But hold on. This is the question I have to ask them. Are you tolerating sin in the church? Are you tolerating sin in your house? Are you tolerating sin? And then what a lot of times they say back, well, that's not my job. That's no, you know, nobody's supposed to judge. Hold on. Jesus told me I'm supposed to judge and kick them out and stop tolerating them. The judge told me to judge his judgment. I'm not making the judgment. I'm repeating the judgment. And I'm going to get in trouble unless I confront your sinning behind. Everybody turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, please. Ezekiel chapter 3. Somebody say a watchman. We're going to be held accountable for what we have done with other people's lives. In the Bible days, they used to live in cities that had walls, and those walls were used to protect the city. And they would put watchmen up there to look out over the city to see if the enemy was coming. How many think that might be pretty cool? I might enjoy that. Get to spend some time doing my thing, daydreaming, looking out there, counting the stars. Watchmen. How many would like to be a watchman? Just think about it. Some of you would be too boring. I understand that, but I think I might like it. Give me something to do. I like spending some time by myself. I'd hang out with Jehovah, the God of Israel. But what does it say here? I can't read it all today. We don't have the time. But what does it say here in a nutshell? It says, I'm making you a watchman. And if you see that the sinner is going to get judged and you don't warn the sinner, I'm putting the blood on your hand for them getting judged. Come on, somebody say, oh, snap. And it doesn't just stop there. He then says, if you don't tell the righteous person, If you don't tell the righteous person to stop sinning and they die, since you did not warn them, they will die for their sins, and the righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Come on, somebody say accountable. You see, for us who think, oh, man, this is just, this is too intense for me, Pastor. I'm not really called to be confrontational. You know, I'm just going to tolerate it, and I'll let someone else figure it out. You're not being biblical. Because imagine the watch person, the, ma- the watch man or woman saying this on the, on the top of the, the, uh, the wall there as they're seeing the enemy come. You know what? I don't want to judge these people out here. I don't really know if they are an enemy. And you're like, dude, they got swords and they're coming at us pretty intense right now. No, I don't want to judge them. Imagine the catapults are being launched, the rocks are coming over, and they're like, you know what? I don't want to wake up anybody or disturb them. Is that a good watchman? No, you want a watchman that can discern whether or not those people coming towards the wall are the enemies, that that we're in danger. And you want that watchman to get on the wall, sound the trumpet, and go, hey, the enemy's coming. And so now in our culture, what are they trying to do? Silence us. Shut down the watchman. Get them off the wall. Because the enemy knows if I strike the shepherds, the sheep will go. Let's get the preachers to stop preaching about sin. Let's get the preachers to go along with every little whim of the government. Let's get the preachers to subside and lose their voice because now there'll be no one watching the people. And any time in history you want to go to, it was always, always the godly Christian leaders for the forces of good standing against injustice. Always. Always. I'm not saying there hasn't been bad pastors along the way. I'm saying if you want to look at any time in history, where was the Christian church? The Christian church and the true Christians were standing on the side of that which was right and were preaching and were sounding the alarm. And we're still doing that today, but they're silencing us. And so now we have to decide, are we going to be silenced to please them or are we going to be a watchman to please God? Because I do not want to be caught up in the things of this world And to be told by God, you have still sinned because uh, you have tolerated this person because I've been so brainwashed to think that's not my job. I'm not supposed to be mean or rude, but you better believe I need to make sure that we're not believing the doctrines of Jezebel, sexual immorality, or the parties of this world that distract us from the things of God. I can have a party. I'm just going to have a Holy Ghost party, amen? Because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. That's right. I didn't quit dancing. I just changed partners. I'm dancing with Jesus. I quit dancing with the devil. But now look how Jesus gets so serious, man. If this doesn't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what does. But on our way to his judgment, notice what he says even about Jezebel. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is not willing. She is unwilling. This is what I love about my Jesus. He even let Judas have a chance to repent, but he didn't want to. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? They both betrayed him. 
But Judas quit on Jesus, and Peter didn't give up. You see, here's the thing. No one's going to hell because of their will, uh, excuse me, because of God's will. Whoever goes to hell is going there because of their will. That's what our Bible teaches. So anyone who wants to get all upset about our Bible teaching about there being a hell, you show them the scriptures that say they're going there because they're willing to go there. They want to go there. The Bible says that he gave her time to repent, but she did not. And so I know for us in our culture, we see the external of people's lives, but we don't see what's going to be revealed on Judgment Day. I mean, let's just talk about some of the people we've mentioned, like an Oprah or Ellen, and we see them so pious, so nice, so kind in some ways, right? But on Judgment Day, that veneer is going to be taken away, and we're going to see the God-hater. I don't want to do it God's way. I wanted it my way. I'm in charge. You don't tell me who I marry, God. It's my money. I'm the one who helps them, not you. And God is going to expose their wickedness. C.S. Lewis said on the day of judgment, as the sinner is exposed for who they are, they'll look more hideous than any monster we can imagine now. And yet the ones who are being glorified will be beings of worship to the ungrateful and the unholy. When they see us glorified, they'll think just like how people saw angels, they need to worship us. We'll say, no, we're just humans like you. But they're going to see us in the glory of God. We'll be in the splendor of our God and we'll see their wickedness. Even the monk, even the Tibetan monk. Well, I don't want to be around people. I wasn't made for that. I was made to not exist. <laughs> I was made to make myself disappear. I didn't want to be here, right? I'm telling you, their heart will be exposed before a holy God. Their anger towards our God will be exposed. It's not that the Tibetan monk is just so awesome that they go up to that mountain. No, they're so disobedient. Doesn't mean we mistreat them or treat them harshly and, and try to presuppose what's really going on in their heart. But we understand from God's perspective that all worship other than towards God the creator through his son Jesus Christ is a worship of creation demonic in origin. Demonic in origin. Three Mormon missionaries standing on the corner today. It's like, oh, well, they believe in Jesus. No, I want to be my God like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have sex with women when I die, the Muslim says. I want to have a harem. Don't take from me my paradise. The wickedness of men's hearts. I know I'm being dramatic, but follow me here. The wickedness of men's hearts will show their unwillingness to come before God. Those who come before Christ and are truly saved say, not my will, but your will be done. Okay, if God says I'm going to be a monk, okay, fine. But I'm not doing it because of my will. I'm doing it because of his will. If God says I'm going to go, you know, travel the world and do it, I'm doing it because of God's will. I'm not doing it to make myself look pious. I'm not doing it to, to, to show that I don't need God as a, as a rebellious heart towards him. I'm doing it in submission to him. Because all sin goes back to the root of what? Rebellion. Rebellion against God. And we go to our very first story about sin. They didn't want the tree of life. They wanted to be gods. When given the choice, I would rather be a god and die than live in your kingdom submissive. Isn't that what they say now? I'd rather be ruling in hell than be a servant in heaven is the mantra of sinners as they sing highway to hell. That's where you're going, yep. I'm going on the highway to heaven. We'll see who's going to have it better when we get there. And we have to be honest. And say to the world, you will suffer for this. He says, I'm going to cast you down, the same image of being cast out the window. And then now, this is the part that really breaks my heart as well. He says that not only am I going to do this judgment to her, I'm going to do it to those who follow her. So, so often we look at the, the people who follow L. Ron Hubbard and others, and I'm not saying brainwashing is not real, but for the vast majority, we look at them in their deception and we feel sorry for them. And God is saying, uh-uh, I'm punishing them too. You think about the housewife who saw Oprah during the 80s and 90s get free and liberated, and then she got free and liberated from her church as well. I remember listening to these things with my mom and beginning to get shocked by what was happening in the culture. Those who decided to, to choose that path are going to now suffer the same way as their leader. It's not just like, oh, people in Scientology, oh, I feel sorry for the Muslim. I, feel, I mean, we do have a compassion for them, but they have a judgment that they deserve as well. Why did you reject God? Why did you turn away from Christianity? I watch these documentary on cults, even like the ones that are just more recent about 
you know, the self-motivation cult where they branded people from Hollywood on their backsides with hot irons and different things, you know, poking them and branding them, having sex with the leader and all this. But you hear their stories. What are their stories? I grew up a Christian, and I just knew there was more. And then I met a cult leader who showed me a whole bunch more. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens in the end. Seriously. And so I know we need to pray for them and have compassion. Do not get me wrong, but I want everyone to get this. The follower of the movement suffers like the leader of the movement. Do not think on judgment day they are going to be able to cast it off of them like the woman did. Well, it was the man. It was the serpent. You know, the man says it was the woman. The woman says it was the serpent. God's saying, it was you. You did this. And that's why we have to be careful to interpret this children as speaking of followers and not minors. Because I believe in a doctrine that the children have the kingdom of heaven belonging to them. And then until they're responsible to make their own decision. But this is still between us and God. We don't know when that time comes, when the Muslim child decides to be a Muslim. But we hear very, very encouraging testimonies from around the world, in the Hindu world, in the, the Buddhist world, the, the um, Islamic world. You can get the book Eternity in Their Hearts, where it talks about missionaries coming to the people groups that hadn't yet quite been reached, and yet they're telling stories about how some people in these groups rejected ancestral worship, rejected their idols, and they looked after one God that would give them a son, and the son would give them the message. I can tell you this sounds amazing, but it's true, and some of them would have visions of Jesus. And so that's another reason why we need to go around the world and preach the gospel to reinforce what is happening in the conscience. Because Romans chapter 1 says that just like it's wrong to murder, and we all know it in our conscience, everyone knows it's wrong to worship another man or follow a different way. We are supposed to worship a God who is in spirit. All cultures are supposed to innately know that worship a God that is in spirit and keep his rules and laws. They have found some people even in Central and South America, even among some of the Mayans and others, that have comparative ways to the Jewish faith in the Ark of the Covenant. So beautiful that the truths of God came about in different ways. Because remember, we all came from Noah's Ark, and as the world spread out from there, they would remember what they were taught from their ancestors. But what did the Bible also say? If you turn from me, your generations will be cursed afterwards. So, so often people who ask the question go, well, what about the person in the jungle? First of all, I don't feel sorry for them because they didn't start there. They came from Noah's Ark. And so over time, if their parents started worshiping that tree, they're now under a curse of that generation, including the Romans and anybody else. Are you listening? And then the second thing, as I say, is you're not in the jungle somewhere. You're hearing the truth, and you're going to be held accountable for it. Let God decide how he judges the revelation he shared with people who may be indigenous still even in our time. But yet that does not give us excuses to just let them be and say, well, let God do it. No, we're supposed to go to those nations, go to those people groups. So he says, I'm going to strike them down. And then this is what should put fear in all of us. He said, I will repay each one of you according to your deeds. That's when I hear people say, like, only God can judge me. I'm like, do you know what that means? <laughs> that should scare the hell out of you. That should wake you up a little bit because if he's saying he's going to judge you according to every one of your deeds, how many know we have some wicked deeds in our lives? How many know if we just went through the Ten Commandments, we would have a bunch of them, disobeying parents, taking the Lord's name in vain, adultery, having covetousness? Woo! But we need the blood of Jesus, don't we? We need the blood of Jesus. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Now look at what he says here. He says, this is what I say to the rest of you. Don't fall for the so-called secrets of Satan. Don't you love Jesus' sarcasm? Secrets of Satan. Like as if there's like a little infomercial that comes up. Secrets, secrets, secrets of Satan. $14.99. Learn about the secrets of Satan. But you know, the devil's not going to advertise it like that, is he? He's, he's going to come out with the secret. Here's the secret. You can control the universe. The universe is at your hand. The devil always comes with his deceptions as secrets. You think you're on something. You got something unique. How many were sinners at one point and thought you were special? You were a special sinner. If you would have talked to me when I was a sinner, I would have been like, man, the world is made of energy, and we're all light particles coming in and out of each other. Oh, man, I was doing LSD, and I was communicating with a cat, and I understood. Now, this is a true story. And the cat was in my energy, and I was in the energy of the cat. Secrets. Secrets of Satan. But how many know there's plenty of fools thinking that way? All these foolish people, oh, I can think of a religion like this, and I can think of a religion, oh, we're so special, we know the secrets. Has your church told you the secret? We found no, new books in Egypt. Here are the secrets, secrets, secrets. 
And he says, listen, I know you guys are not holding on to those secrets, so this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to put any other burden on you. See, serving for, living for Jesus and serving God is not a burden. He says, I'm not going to make this harder for you guys. This is all I want to do except to hold on to what I've already given you. Somebody say, hold on. This is what we need to do in this culture. Hold on to the beliefs of a Christian. Has I, have I said anything controversial here to the beliefs of a Christian? Because how many know Christians can have disagreements, right? Like there's a Baptist church over here, a Methodist church over here, but I'm talking about the Christian faith. Have I said anything that's controversial to any of that? No, this is what Christians have always believed. Did it matter if your culture uh, was a Christian in Latin America or your culture was a Christian in Africa or a culture of Christian in Europe? How many know you back this thing up 150 years? Boop, boop, boop. Somebody say, back that thing up. You back that thing up. You back up the church 150 years. How many know it's what everybody's believing? This is what we believe. God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He sent his son Jesus to die for us, rose again from the dead. Salvation is in his name. And yet now we have the confusion. Why has the confusion come? Because we have let go instead of holding on. And lastly, in closing, Vinny, would you come, please? Look at what he says here. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. Somebody say, to the end. Come on. Who does my will to the end. You finish the race. He says, I will give you. This is where it gets exciting. He says, I will give you authority to rule the nations. And you will dash them to pieces like pottery. I think it's so funny that some of my friends who are preachers have uh, illustrations all the time. Like I just saw my one friend. Uh, he's talking about Jesus is my therapy. Jesus is my medication. So he has this big bottle of pills. You know, he made this big bottle of pills. And he put it on the pulpit. But it has Bible verses. And so instead of go, 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 taking pills, Jesus is my medication. We take the word of God. How many think that's pretty cool or whatever? So you guys would love that. You would love those illustrations. I don't do those. I preach for an hour and a half. That's what you get here. But illustrations are fine too. But watch, if I did an illustration to, to demonstrate this, what should I do? I should put up a pinata of Biden. I should put up a pinata of the wicked leaders of our world. Put up a pinata of Buddha and bash that thing in front of you and say, that's what's happening in a few years. Come on, wake us up, Jesus. We're not bloodthirsty. We're just thirsty for judgment. Somebody says, man, I don't want judgment. No, you do. We need Jesus to make this wicked world right. I need Jesus to set this, this world right. It's so unholy. People think there's not going to be a consequence. I love what Jesus says to them. The authority that I have to bash the nations and dash them in pieces, I'm giving you that scepter. Now, don't try it now or you're going to go to jail, okay? And we're not, we're not going to bash our enemies right now. We pray for our enemies. But when Jesus comes, so let's get our words in context. If a person wants to bring this to me, you guys are hate mongers. You want to bash and kill people. That's not what I want. I want God's judgment to come, and I want the wicked to be done away with. Because everybody always says, well, the world's a mess. How can there be a good God? You're going to see how our good God cleans up the mess. Those of you asking for the mess to be cleaned up, you're going to see how he comes and cleans up this mess. He is going to bash the nations and the leaders and the rulers into pieces who do not serve him. And God says, now it's your time with the pinata. I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, sometimes we give my kids the stick and he's just like, you know, I don't know if we're going to be shooting out laser beams. I don't know. But I'm being honest with you. He's going to give you the stick and he's going to say, he, I'm telling you the truth, Andre. He said, I won't give you the stick. Now put Chicago in order. That's it. If they don't listen in Chicago, dash them to pieces. Chicago will be run by the kingdom of God. Every nation and every tribe and every language will be run by the kingdom of God. Our Jesus, the Jesus that we love, let's go to, back to the basics. Our Jesus that so loved the world, he gave his only son himself, that he who ever believes in him shall not perish, have everlasting life. The same one that, that says you're like my sheep and I'm your shepherd and I lay down my life for you is the same one that says I'm putting some sticks in my people's hands and they're going to bash the nations. I look to that not in a trivial sense Though we like to make a little bit of humor here, I don't look to that in a trivial sense or a bloodthirsty sense. I just look at it like God's setting it right. We have turned the cheek. 
We have been oppressed. Our brothers and sisters in Mozambique have been lambs led to slaughter, as the Bible says. Dofar. Most of these places you all hear about Christians are at the heart of the persecution. That's why the government never tells you what their religion is and what's actually going there. You know? But, but these places that you hear the most atrocities about, Christians, I'm waiting for God to set that right. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss it. Because when his kingdom comes, it's coming whether I'm in it or not. How many know that? How many know Joe could put the Bible away? I could give the Bible. Come get my Bible, please, Bethany. Right here. Everybody watch this. Okay, take my Bible and sit down, please. Thank you. Watch this right here. We're going to flip it out, flip that off. Let's go, let's go here. Let's go make an example here because I feel like the Lord is speaking to some of you. Let's go here. I want this to disappear. Put in the word Oprah, please. Lord, help Oprah. Help all the folks that need to hear this truth. I just want to just get Metro off here. I just want to make an example for everybody. Thank you. You got it? O-P-R-A-H? You got it? Okay, hit enter, my brother. Thank you. Okay, here we go. I got it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I want everybody to get this in their mind right. I want, I, I just, I want this to settle in your mind. I'm not going to do it as an illustration, but let's just take it to the furthest link. I tear down this with the cross. I tear down that with the cross. I tear down that cross. And I say to you, I don't believe that Bible anymore. I believe what she says. Have I changed one thing that we just talked about today? Didn't change one thing, did I? I'm wanting everybody to get, it's not Joe the preacher that makes this hype. It does not matter what we think about this subject. I hope you believe it. But if the whole world went towards the Antichrist, as the Bible says, we're about ready to get into that. It does not change it. When, when Noah and his wife, his three boys and their wives were the only eight people left on the planet living for Jesus. It did not matter to God what he was still going to do. If there would not have been any righteous, they would have all gone down. Please get this in your heart today. This is not a popularity contest. This is not who gets the most friends on followers, uh, followers on Facebook. Whose church is the best? Who's the best preacher that made you believe this today? Thank you. Bring back that Bible, please. This is true whether I believe it or not. This was true before you were even saved. This was true before there was ever even a nation called the United States of America. This is going to be true. And so my encouragement for us today, as I go back to the, the passage here, can you, uh, where do we got our notes? If you could find my notes up here, please. He says, I'm going to give you authority to rule the nations, but it gets one better than that. Thank you, sir. He said, I'm going to give you the morning star. Who knows what the morning star is? It's Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you myself. He says, I'm going to give you authority, and you're going to have my light in you like a morning star rising up and expelling the darkness. The Bible says in other places we will become partakers of the divine nature. What an honor to become sons and daughters of God as the spirit inside of us calls out to God the Father, Abba. That's what we as Christians get in the end. We get God. It's not just that we get to rule and have authority. We get a home. We get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My heart is where his heart is. That's my home. And his love for me is what transforms me and changes me. And we will rule the nations with him. So brothers and sisters, as the altar workers and band come, would you just close your eyes with me and focus on Jesus? No matter what you're going through today, hold on, hold on, hold on. And when you've done everything, keep holding, keep standing. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the only one in your family. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the only one in your culture, the only one in your neighborhood. Keep holding on to Jesus' words. Keep holding on to what Jesus said. Don't let Jezebel deceive you. Don't let the wicked leaders of this world deceive you. God is going to do a great work in your life.
a few moments right now. We'll stand and get ready to dismiss. But right now where you're at, have you been tolerating any wickedness in your life? Repent of it right now. That's not real grace. Real grace tells the truth. Real grace shows the truth and demonstrates the truth. We don't hide our lamp under a bushel. A few moments, if you have never known Jesus, today's a great day to get to know Jesus. Ask him into your heart. Repent of your sins. You'll get a taste of his glory right now. You'll get to feel the light of the morning star shining in your heart. But for those of us who are already Christians, check your life. Check what you've been believing. Let go of these false doctrines. Let go of these false beliefs. I know just like you, we're bombarded with it. Every time we turn on the TV or, or the Internet or social media, we're always being told how dumb we are, how stupid we are, how Christians just need to change. But I want to encourage you today, hold on. Hold on to what you've been given. This is your time in this generation to pass the Word of God down. It was passed down from generation to generation by brothers and sisters just like us. We're not the only ones that have to go counterculture. We're not the only ones at times that have to go underground. We're not the only ones that have to face the mayors and the leaders of our culture. We're not the only ones to be shunned and to be made public spectacles of. There's been a testimony before us of those who held on. And I pray for you to hold on today with your heart full of love, not out of bloodthirst for a coming judgment, but out of compassion for people, wishing that even Jezebels around us will repent. So, Lord, let's even pray now. Lord, we pray for the Oprahs, the Ellens, the, uh, the Bidens, the Harrises, Lord, the, the Bill Gates, the Zuckerbergs, the people we see in our media who try to lead us astray, oh God. We pray they will repent before you cast them down. We pray for the, the leaders that are becoming lukewarm. We pray for those in different religions who are leading others astray. We pray for them to repent from the Mormon church to the nation of Islam, to these Catholic priests and the Pope who don't serve the God of the Bible. Oh, Lord, change their hearts, change their minds. Speak to them. Speak to them. Reason with them, O Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah, God calls unto them, let us reason together. And though your sins be like a scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. O Lord, reach out to our cultural leaders. Reach out to the religious leaders. Reach out to the business leaders, the governmental leaders, O God. We pray that you will anoint each one of us to hold our beliefs through whatever storms we may face and give us voices to win the worldview war. It doesn't matter today as we're praying if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're an entrepreneur or if you're in the military or police, let the Lord use you and give you a voice like the Daniels, like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednegoes, like the Josephs. Come on. Whatever you're doing in life, ask God to give you a voice to help win the worldview war, to teach others, hold on, hold on to Jesus. Judgment is coming. The nations will be put under his rulership. The high, the high traitor, Satan, will be bound. And the kingdom of God will come upon this earth. And the Bible says the day of mourning for the wicked will be a day of rejoicing for the righteous. few more moments. Come on, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Lord, use us. Change the way we think, Lord, if we're compromised in any way. Help us, Lord, where there are disagreements for us not fighting over the minors but sticking with the majors. These are the important issues of our day, oh God. Even if we meet brothers and sisters from other churches and they may disagree on some other aspects of our Christianity, Lord, let us unify with them to be a united body in, this in, in these end times. We can all agree to stand against wickedness. We can all agree to stand against corruption, false doctrines against our Lord and Savior, blasphemies against his name. We stand for the holiness of our God, the purities of our family, the standards of our morals, for the kingdom is coming. Come on, the kingdom of God is coming, friends. It is coming. I'm thankful to be here, but I'm humbled because I know if it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be. And I, know about, I don't know about you, but I know that i got to tell somebody about this. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today if you believe that? Amen. We've got to tell the world.
we'll dismiss with a song. And as we get ready to dismiss, if you want prayer or anyone to talk to, please feel free to come up. But we have this weekend of evangelism coming up. Please do all you can to come out with us. Let's go show the world that we love them, that we want them to repent. Let's reason with them as much as we can. Don't stay home this weekend. I mean, other than being sick or you can't get off work, come on out. Even if you've never done it before, come on out with us. I'm going to be putting up the full schedule this week for the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. There's going to be something going on all throughout the day. At the very least, come to the evening services at 6 to go around the neighborhood for the service to start at 7. And this is the kind of faith that we have. We're going to do a baptism Sunday night because we want to see people get saved, baptized. Hallelujah. And so if you even haven't got baptized, get up in that. Amen. Let's end out. Set me on fire. You are dismissed. Thanks for coming today. Please come up if you need prayer. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. We'll see you this weekend.